Hello, and welcome to the Sounds Right podcast. I'm the host, Laura, and this is episode three of the series Nuggets of Language Nerdiness, where I share with you three lovely snippets that will help you understand the English language better. Sounds Right is a speech-to-print approach to teaching phonics based on decades of research on the science of reading and learning. For 20 years, we've been delivering our quality teacher training programs. You can find a whole host of information and free resources on our website, linked in the show notes. On with the episode. Do you know the difference between a language, a pigeon and a creole? So let's start with languages. I'm sure everyone listening knows exactly what a language is. A language is a system of spoken, signed or written symbols that humans use to express themselves. Interestingly, when I was looking for definitions of what a language is, many websites and definitions stated that languages are used by members of the same culture or country to communicate with each other. And it's just not that simple. We may often associate languages as being used between people from the same country, but in Uganda, for example, there are over 40 languages spoken throughout the country. And on the other hand, Spanish is the official language of 21 different countries, each obviously with their own unique cultures. But semantics aside, what happens when two groups of people who don't speak the same language find themselves living in the same community? What can they do to communicate with each other? Where would you begin if you had to communicate with someone with whom you didn't even share a single word of a common language? Well, you might try using gestures and then maybe learning a few of each other's words for things. The bridge between two or more languages that develops in these kinds of situations is called a pidgin. It's the result of two or more languages being blended together by native speakers trying to communicate with each other. The word pidgin itself comes from a Chinese pronunciation of the word business in English. So business English, the form of English used by Chinese people when doing business or trade with the British, became pidgin English. A creole comes a generation or two after a pidgin, as the children learn the pidgin as their mother tongue and the grammar and syntactic rules become solidified. Mother tongue speakers of pidgins force the pidgin into grammatical rules and make it consistent. This process is called creolization, and the languages that come out of them are called creoles. Creoles are fully-fledged languages with consistent grammar and syntax and wide vocabularies but not all pigeons turn into creoles. If, for example, one of the languages spoken within the community becomes more popular, the pigeon may be wiped out before it has a chance to become a creole. Creoles only really form under a very specific set of conditions. Jamaican patois, for example, is a language that was developed from English, Spanish, Arawak, and several West African languages as well. When Jamaica was colonised by the Spanish and then by the English, slaves were brought to the island. The enslaved people often came from different places and didn't have a shared language with each other, let alone the plantation owners and the indigenous population. And so a pidgin was born, combining words and sounds from these various languages. Over the centuries of colonial rule, the pidgin became a creole, the Jamaican patois that is spoken today. 
And in a full circle moment, there are a number of words in British English slang that come from Jamaican Patois. Words like mandem, wagwan and ting were all introduced by Jamaican and other Caribbean immigrants to the UK and are widely used in the UK today as slang. But pigeons and creoles don't just develop in spoken language. Another story of linguistic innovation comes from Nicaragua in the 70s and 80s, when the first school for deaf students was established in Managua, the capital, and deaf Nicaraguans were able to socialise with each other in groups for the very first time. Teachers at the school primarily used lip reading and fingerspelling to communicate with students. Fingerspelling is where you spell out words using gestures that represent letters of the alphabet. As you can imagine, this was incredibly laborious and frustrating for these students. So much like in the other contexts where lots of people are brought together without a common language, students began developing a pigeon using signs they'd developed and used at home in order to communicate with each other. As this became more established across the school and older students began teaching younger students, it became a Creole. This sign language is now known as the idioma de señas de Nicaragua. It's amazing to think that a group of students created a language just in the playground by talking amongst themselves. There's a brilliant video on this whole topic that I've linked in the show notes and it's really worth watching if you're interested in learning more about pigeons and creoles. A final note on this is that pidgin, as a type of language, is not to be confused with Nigerian pidgin, which is actually a creole spoken in Nigeria, slightly confusingly. It is a language that has retained the name pidgin, even though it's not actually a pidgin anymore. BBC World Service provides BBC News pidgin, which is worth taking a look at if you're interested in seeing an English-based creole language in print. When we say that we teach from speech to print, or that print is spoken language written down, we mean that with a few obvious caveats. Of course, the English we read and write is different in some ways to the English that we speak and hear. In written English, for example, we try not to use fillers, words such as like, um, and you know. That's why listening to this podcast might sound a little different to hearing me talk freely. I have to admit that I am actually reading from a script, which is why I managed to avoid saying um all the time. Of course, fillers mainly just serve as a placeholder to allow us time to shape our thoughts before we actually speak them. But there are other, more useful elements of spoken language that didn't quite make their way into our writing system too. Where we place the stress in sentences is really important for conveying meaning. In his book, Language at the Speed of Sight, Mark Seidenberg gives a brilliant example of how changing the stress in a sentence can drastically change its meaning. So his example is, Fred didn't take the test yesterday. By changing the stressed word, it conjures up all sorts of different meanings when you hear it. So, for example, Fred didn't take the test yesterday makes it sound like somebody else did. Fred didn't take the test yesterday sounds like he took something else, not the test. And Fred didn't take the test yesterday sounds like he took it a different day. Each of these gives you a different perception of Fred, one that could be more or less 
damning depending on where you place the stress. And if you're speaking to someone in person, one of these phrases might be paired with a raised eyebrow or a knowing look that tells you even more about Fred and his test taking. But when we read this in print, we lose a lot of that contextual information like tone of voice, stress, body language, that is key in spoken communication. We can underline the stressed word or put it in italics, but it's just one example of how we lose some of the context. Written conventions, says Seidenberg, can tell us some of the things about meaning, but not everything. But what would a writing system look like that was able to convey every bit of information that spoken language does? Like the ability to convey fear or amusement in a sentence, or the fact that a sentence is dripping with sarcasm. I can definitely think of a few examples on social media of sarcasm or humour not coming across in writing, leading to arguments and Twitter feuds. (laughs) However, Mark Seidenberg says that adding these extra elements into print comes with an added cost. The time to write, the time to read, the paper, the ink, the time needed to learn all the symbols for these elements. According to him, it wouldn't be worth it and could actually make reading even harder. Although our writing system isn't perfect for recording how something is said and the intent behind it, it's good enough. And most of the time we can deduce whether Fred hired someone to take a test for him or whether he took his test last week, just based on the context we hear the sentence in. In this final section, I'm going to tell you about false cognates. A word is cognate with another word when the two share the same linguistic derivation. So, for example, the words essential and essence come from the same word, essentia, in Latin. These are cognates. So, false cognates are words that seem like they should share the same linguistic derivation, but in fact do not. So probably the most interesting example of this are the words isle and island. Contrary to what you might assume when hearing or reading the two words, they actually come from different roots. Isle comes from the French word il and before that the Latin word insula. Whilst the word island comes from Old English igland and before that from the Proto-Germanic word for water and land stuck together. Amusingly, the spelling of island was modified to include the S because of its similarity to the word isle in the 16th century. Other false cognates or words that sound similar but don't share the same linguistic derivation are religious and sacrilegious, ingenious and ingenuity, and fear, fright and afraid. Even though they sound like they should come from the same root, they actually don't. One example of a special case of false cognates that I'd always wondered about is why you hear words like mama and papa for parents in so many different languages. I'd always wondered if they were related and the answer is that they sort of are but not in the way that you might think. If you're a speechy this might seem quite obvious to you but it definitely surprised me. So when babies begin babbling, they often begin by producing the easiest sounds. And these are the open vowel a and bilabial consonants such as m, p and b. Bilabial meaning bi is two and labial is relating to lips. So sounds are articulated using both lips. 
Combinations of these sounds are among the first that babies produce when they begin babbling, and parents associate these sounds with themselves. So it's not a coincidence that mama means mother in Spanish, Romanian, Dutch, Swahili, and many more. And those where it's different are often combinations of those same bilabial consonants and a, such as ama for mother in Nepali, ma for mother in Bengali, and ama for father in Tagalog. False cognates are slightly different to another term that you might have heard, especially in foreign language lessons at school, which is false friends. False friends is often used synonymously with false cognate, but they are actually two completely separate phenomena. So false friends is when a word sounds very similar in two languages, but actually has different meanings, regardless of whether the two words share their etymology or not. This is different to false cognates in that a pair of words does not have the same etymology if it is a false cognate. The English word pretend and the French word prétendre are false friends as they have different meanings. In French, it means to claim. However, the words do share the same linguistic derivation. They both come from the Latin word pretendere. So they are false friends, but not false cognates. I hope you've enjoyed this third episode of Nuggets of Language Nerdiness by the Sounds Right podcast. Just a quick note before I sign off. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, which I know most of you do, you might not be able to click the links in the show notes. So either you can go to the podcast on Spotify or go to our website, click on news and the Sounds Right podcast and you'll be able to see all the clickable show note links there. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.